We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here, on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know, and sometimes, the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We are here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully, the justice that was ultimately delivered. Ooh, Don Palumbo. Jonah Lanto. It's, it's getting serious. I feel like... I feel like as we go on, you always go, ooh, Don Palumbo. It's almost like my first name is ooh. I like it. So it's cool. I'm going to change that. I'm going to change it. Ooh, officially known. Well, thank you, everybody, for being here tonight uh, with us. We, we really, really appreciate it. A big thanks to Half Brothers here in Grand Forks. I love being here. It's always Delic- a, Delicious beer and pizza. Oh, so good. So good. Great yeah. combo. So a, a, big, a big thanks to, to all of you. And I feel like you were going to say something. No. Nope. Took a deep breath. No. Oh. You caught me though. <laughs> and also a big, a big, big, big thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed our podcast. Uh, we actually just took a look at the Spotify Wrapped thing, and it's they do it for humbling. podcasts now. Yeah, it's kind of cool. cool. Some some eye opening little stats they shared about our little podcast. Yeah, and that is all in uh, you know a huge thanks to you guys, and we are grateful for the comments, the feedback, and of course the support that we receive from our listeners. We couldn't appreciate it more. So Jonah, what are people saying about Midwest murder? I, I'm going to tell you, but just one quick thing about that Spotify rap is that we found out for almost for almost 1,000 Spotify users, we were their number one most listened to podcast. And what a humbling thing to like. Yeah, that's really it's cool. It's just such a cool moment in life. We just found that out about 15 minutes ago. And so that's just awesome. Thank you guys. Thanks to everybody who listens. And it again, really, thanks to people who, who take the time out of their busy life to rate and review. For sure. Um, it's, it's very, very humbling. I mean, it's like who... Who the hell wants to listen to me talk? And it's like, wow. Stories are pretty good, Don. Give yourself some credit. This review comes from KS Lady 88. Five stars. From the Midwest, question mark. Have no fear. Being from the Midwest isn't a requirement for listening to this podcast. But trust me, you want to listen. These two have such great chemistry together. Seeing y'all live was amazing. Keep up the good work. Can't wait to see y'all again in December. Got the double y'all. Who are okay. you? Is that, Say hello. Okay, this happened last time we were in Grand Forks. Is that is that one of you guys? Or is it? Or yeah, last time we were here, a reviewer was in the audience. Okay. That was pretty cool. Okay. That was it's, really not one cool. Of, it's not one of y'all. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's super cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Freezing in North Dakota. Five stars. And yeah, we're all it's pretty accurate. cold. It's actually pretty warm in the basement here at Half Bros this time around. So I'm exciting about that. But always exciting. I've been a fan since the beginning. The stories are always interesting. Don's compassion for the victims is heartfelt. Jonah's expressions are candid. The on-air chemistry is lighthearted. Keep up the great work. Five stars all the way. Even if someone forgets to push the record button at a live show. P.S. I was review rating number 500. I love it. Absolutely. Not even the reviewers want to let me live that one down. Thank you. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And, uh, and, and thank to, you for those kind words. That's super cool. To be, to be fair. fair. We only missed like 17 minutes of the, sh- of the episode. It's true. Like we fixed it's, it. Yeah. It was, it was fixable. I saw some heads nodding 
Letterkenny fans that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks like for it. picking Thank up you. on the, Thank being you. swift in the uptake with that one. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, this episode is brought to you by Midwest Memoirs. Well, that's us. That's who we are. So we get to, we get to say that we're sponsoring it. It's what we do. Our name's on the door. We can. So the, uh, the stories of your family deserve to be heard. And Midwest Memoirs captures your living generation stories, jokes, and even tall tales. And because the most important story you'll ever hear is the story of your family. And we've done it with our families and think it's something that every family deserves to do and have and, and keep forever. So keeping in mind that every family dynamic is different, we sit down with a voice you never want to forget. And we interview, and we're not those voices, by the way. Just oh, it's the voice out. of your family. <laughs> right. We interview our guest, who is your family member, or even you, for a professionally recorded conversation so that your story is never forgotten long after they're gone. So check us out on Facebook, Instagram, shoot us message. Get in contact with us if you're curious how it works. You can also buy us a hot dish now at buymeacoffee.com slash midwestmurder. A big shout out to our members who continue to support us. We appreciate you so very, very much. It helps us keep the lights on. It helps us with case files, travel costs, all those things. The and, occasional uh, necessary order of chicken strips, maybe if we're hungry. There are times. Yeah. There are times. Yeah. Although it's usually a pizza. It's usually a pizza. It's, if you guys know the, the Midwest Murder Pizza, it's pepperoni, pineapple, jalapeno, thin crust. Boom. Try it. It's so it's, good. It's amazing. That was one of those weird synchronic- synchronicities that we found on the road. We were talking about pizza and he's like, this is my favorite pizza. I was like, no, that's my favorite pizza. Yeah. The rest is history. So it's that's why bad. we're still here. Cause we like, we, it's all about the pizza. same favorite pizza. <laughs> yeah. We're both never cold and we like the same pizza. So it, <laughs> it works. It, it gets weird in the, in the cars sometime. So, all right. Well, this episode takes us to 1979. Brenda Ann Spencer in one of the first school shootings killed two faculty members and wounded eight students. Her response was quote, I don't like Mondays. Oh, Don, you're hit. That's not even the story yet. That's just what oh. happened in 1979. That's hitting hard. Jeez. Yeah. Mondays. On a lighter note, Nickelodeon debuted. Okay. Changing the world for children forever. McDonald's Happy Meal debuted with no toy. No I mean, toy. I feel like that's a big deal. And there were no, like, there weren't a lot of audible gasps. Like, come on, guys, that's bullshit. Like, I, th- I thought like, the toy is what made it the I know, Happy Meal. Isn't- I know. I was expecting more of a reaction. Oh, you guys are going to have to do better, I guess. Yeah. The uh, U.S. introduced the Susan B. Anthony dollar, which... I don't know. I feel like it was gone by the early nineties. So they did a bang up job with that. Michael Jackson's <laughs> off the wall was released and would go on to sell 7 million copies. So going platinum seven times. It's weird. Wow. And it's super weird looking back on, you know, cause we, we touch on, you know, Michael Jackson's music a lot because in the eighties, I mean, it, it, it was off the charts. Did not mean to say that, but off the wall, off the charts, but, um, but we, we talk about it often. And so it's super weird to go back now and realize like how icky he was. So it's almost like super weird to just, you know, to, to bring it up, but he was a part of our childhoods, I guess. And by his music being off the charts, it was directly on them, like number one the whole time. Yeah. Wow. That on. was good. That was yeah. good. Yeah. Right like up that. in there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to be weird. You guys are going to test me tonight because I, it's, it is a smaller crowd. And so uh, sometimes I think I'm funny. I actually am the funniest person I know. And so if you, if you don't laugh, it's going to be like, oh, Frick. Don's going to be second guessing her reality this every whole time, time. Like the entire time. So just give me pity laughs. Even, uh, Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, Jimmy <laughs> on cue. Here's a good great. one. Couldn't ask for better. Yeah. You guys are already redeeming yourselves. It's great. Um, Jimmy Carter signed a law that established the department of education, which I find weird 
because it's 1979. I, that's that's one of those things I feel like everybody thinks of, has has been there forever. But I, I say it often that in 1920, we could still mail our children in the U.S. Postal Service. <laughs> and so to be only 59 years removed from that and have our first Department of Education, uh, I guess I guess it checks out, but it just still feels weird. And overnight also, mail only with your children, of course. Well, maybe. No, you I don't, couldn't I don't, package I don't feel like them. Definitely couldn't package Overnight only. In 1920? <laughs> overnight only? Yeah, how did that happen? <laughs> And uh, in 1979, the Iran hostage crisis began. In sports world or sports news, the uh, the Super Bowl that year, which I didn't have to count out this time because I know these Roman numerals, uh, was Super Bowl 13. The Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Cowboys, and which is really really weird because my my family are all Steelers fans, hailing from the Pittsburgh area, and I'm a Cowboys fan, so it's it's almost like it ripped a hole in the universe. But oh well. In the, in the NHL news, Montreal Canadiens beat the New York Rangers 4-1 to in the Stanley Cup. NBA championship, the Seattle Supersonics defeated the Washington Bullets. And in the World Series, it was a good year for Pittsburgh because the Pirates beat the Orioles, winning their fifth World Series. I have to point out, too, the NBA championship that year played by two teams that no longer exist no, in the NBA. No longer exist, yeah. Yeah, that was, I had to look up the Bullets. I was like, that's I've never, I, until now, I didn't know the Washington Bullets were a team. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge basketball fan. It's I find it incredibly boring. Sorry, um, but I feel like a you know. like most '90s kids. I was way into it in the '90s. Michael Jordan, the Bulls, the, yeah. a lot of a lot of cool things were happening. But yeah. but yeah. after that, it kind of faded for me. I was a Jordan fan, a Pippen fan, but I you know only because it was the cool thing to do when I was ten. So uh, all right, so 1979, and malls were the thing that year. Long before the '90s mall rats showed up, there were indoor gardens probably a water feature, and most definitely an orange Julius flanked by wood paneling and a display case full of plastic oranges. Yes, take me back. <laughs> Do you guys remember that? Do you guys remember that 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 front of there? It's just, it's, I don't know, it's, I'm full of nostalgia doing this uh, case tonight. Picture yeah. it in my head perfectly. I really can. <laughs> we didn't, in, in fact, on the way here, we actually looked up the, the recipe because we were arguing about the ingredients. Of an orange and, Julius. And now we're, that's what we're making our families this weekend. Can't yep. wait. So to get to the food court, you probably walked by a footlocker. Anchor stores like JCPenney, Sears, and Montgomery Ward had already left Main Street to surround the multiple arms of the shopping destination that would also house stores. Many of those would come and go throughout the decades. Whatever the mall was like from your town, and if you were a child of the 80s or 90s, you probably have your own memories, right? I'm guessing you do. I've got at least one of my own memories (laughs) from that time. I haven't inhaled all of them. <laughs> Say, nah, I need the pity laugh now. That Shit, was, that was that a was good funny. one. Yeah, Come on. that's funny. I don't pity laugh him often. That was actually a, a genuine laugh. And uh, I would bet you a hot dish that one of those memories involves a dance recital in front of a Sears or buying a tape or a fancy new CD, depending on your decade, at Musicland. Disc jockey, but yes. It, well, Musicland, disc jockey. Right, right. Wherever your region be, but, was, yeah. But I think, I feel like we had both. And mm-hmm. then one turned into Sam Goody. Like it mm-hmm. was, yeah. Thanks, Apple Music. You killed it. And then at one point, you were probably sitting on an uncomfortable wooden bench waiting for your mom or grandma, who were probably making a layaway payment, next to a wood-paneled ashtray garbage can combo, and then also next to some old guy lighting up a cigarette in the middle of the mall while he killed time waiting for his wife. Yeah, and those ashtrays, you know, you, rem- you guys think of the, all those nice commercials of like white sand beaches. The closest we got to white sand in the Midwest was in these ashtrays. It was in those ashtrays. Like it was, right. it was sand. In these mall ashtrays. It was sand. Yeah, yeah. You should have heard us as, as we were going through this tonight. We were, you guys on our know way the here. ones, man. It was, 
Yeah. And it was like, and, and also how disgusting, but I remember, Oh, I just, I want to make, I want to go wash my hands right now. Um, because I still feel like after 30 years, it's not removed, but, um, like, like touching the sand, right? Like everybody touched it. Like I was a dumb kid that touched it. The cigarette sand. I was like, Oh, "Oh, look at it. I made this castle out of, what are you doing? Get your hands out of there. I know. I'm like, no, this old guy said I could, it's fine. You were paying a bill. It's cool. Or you were buying me my Christmas presents. Malls were something else back then. They were, they were something. Yeah. And, and we, uh, we probably also learned some life lessons while sitting on those benches. Some we probably shouldn't even repeat, but, and if you didn't do that and can't relate to this whatsoever, you're probably under the age of 30. And frankly, <laughs> I feel sorry for you because that was, man, those were memories. Did good. you say not a cell phone in sight? Yeah. Yeah. But you know what phone was in sight? A the pay phone. phone. The pay phone. <laughs> yeah. And then it's, and then you were. Pay phone screwed. kiosks. Yep. Yep. And you were totally, which were then replaced by ATMs yep. <laughs> right in the same spot to cover up that hole in the floor. Yeah. It's cool. I could have designed a mall or something. It's weird. Or I spent a lot of time there. But uh, anyway, so while I can't speak for their West side, Westdale mall in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, it was, uh, it was likely the same. And they were very, very new on the scene having opened on October 4th, 1979. Okay. So they say the very same year that this happened. So it's Christmas time, and you imagine the bustling corridors of a brand new mall in December with the excitement of buying gifts for others, maybe even yourself, walking in and out of stores decorated as if Christmas threw up all over, stores, store associates nearing their breaking point because they've likely been listening to Christmas music and the same rotation for almost a month and offering a vintage style of customer service, smiling through the pain. If you've worked, if you've worked retail, you know, and it was awful. It's awful. It's like, I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life, like a lot, right? But I feel like one of the worst is working for one of those um, anchor stores that I mentioned earlier. Mm. That was one of the worst life decisions you I've ever made. You didn't like that, that experience, no. but it made, it, it built you, you know, right? That was a I good, don't think, good, in, a good, I don't good think in a good way. Foundational piece <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Well, whatever. Anyway, and, and I, I actually think of, uh, I picture the mall scenes from Fast Times at Regiment High, you know, but more in a med- Midwest setting. I'm pretty sure Phoebe Cates wasn't working, but, but definitely, like definitely in that, in that era. So. Well, and I think we take malls for granted now. In 1979, a new mall in a small Midwest city where you're waiting for everything to come inland from the coast anyways. Right, yeah. To get a mall in your town, yeah. that was the coolest shit that was a, that was ever a big, freak out big deal. Yeah. I mean, well, and all of, like I said, those anchor stores were leaving main street, right? Like it was revolutionizing shopping and malls can hardly hold stores in and they keep raising rent. I think malls have had to make a big adjustment, but yeah. Yeah. I digress. I clearly, I want to do a podcast on malls cause this was, this was fun. So on the evening of December 19th, 1979, after a somewhat unseasonably warm day, Michelle Martinko went to the mall and sadly never left. Like any 18-year-old, the fearless possibilities of the expansive world were unlimited for Michelle. Michelle Martinko was an exceptional individual, sweet, genuinely friendly, and incredibly kind. She was a beautiful girl next door, even stereotypically so, with her blonde hair and Farrah Fawcett feathered hair. And probably even probably even so better than Farrah. Like she is she was just absolutely gorgeous. She was the, you know, you wanted if you were a less popular person, you probably wanted to hate her, but she was so genuinely nice and pretty that, I mean, you just, you just couldn't. She was just unbelievably kind. And at an early age, she was diagnosed with scoliosis. Being forced to wear a corrective brace for a good portion of her childhood, she was rightfully self-conscious, right? And somewhat shy. 
When the brace came off at the age of 14, she blossomed into a popular teenager that had very little awareness of actually how much attention she was, she was getting from classmates and boys. So within a year, while roller skating with her friend, she met her handsome boyfriend, Andy Seidel, who was a year older than Michelle at the age of 16. They dated for two years, but grew apart like many teenage romances tend to do. And who am I kidding? Not teenage ones, they all do, but it's All fine. those teenage romances, <laughs> boy. Michelle was, and uh, at this point in 1979, Michelle was now dating Mike Wyrick, who was away at college nearly two hours away. Michelle came from a family you'd probably want to have as neighbors. Both of her parents were military veterans, her father, Albert, an Air Force veteran, and her mother, Jeanette, an Army veteran. Michelle's parents were older when they had her. Albert was 43, Jeanette was 44. So in that, you know, that was well before, you know, that's a, that's still somewhat older now. It's an but, older you know, but, age. but especially in 1979, yeah. I mean, that was definitely kind of unheard of. And there was a 12 year age gap between Michelle and her older sister, Janelle. In those 12 years between the two girls, there was an unmeasurable amount of heartbreak with her parents having had five miscarriages. Oh. So when, when Michelle was born, they were ecstatic. Michelle was an active senior at Cedar Rapids Kennedy High School, participating on the baton twirling team, which those, are, those have gone to the wayside too. Just, do you remember, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking like, man, you're, they, her, she met a boyfriend roller skating and she's a baton twirler. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, at a mall. Another era I mean, here. It's, it's wild, yeah. She was also active in women's choir, concert choir, and drama club. Having just turned 18 on October 6th, she was beginning to make plans for after graduation and wanted to pursue interior design at Iowa State University, which is about two hours away from home or like a hundred something miles. I don't know. Again, we measure in time, not, not distance. At two hours, you didn't say no more. Yeah. That's all I need to know. Yep. I'm actually a little sad. You told me the mileage following the hours. Well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't tell you the exact <laughs> like, mileage because I didn't I'm even stupid? write it down. <laughs> I didn't even write it down. Yeah. Didn't even write it down. On December 19th, around 7 p.m., with $186 in her purse that she was going to use to pay for the coat her mother had put on layaway for her. Wow. Right. If I can pause. 186 bucks, kind of a lot of money in 79. Yeah. And for a, are you saying for yeah. a coat? Yeah, for a coat. I was, I was like, wow, that is. It's that, a nice coat. That's a nice coat in, in 79. I mean, okay. I would have a hard time with 186 today. So, but regardless, Michelle left a choir banquet at the Sheridan Inn and headed to the Westdale Mall in her family's tan and anything but compact 1972 four-door Buick. That thing, was a, that thing was a boat, arriving around 7.30 p.m. Michelle had confided in friends that night that she was nervous going to the mall alone because she felt like she was being followed. Okay, that's creepy. And Michelle was easily noticeable, not only for her captivating beauty, but also because she was dressed in a black strappy dress that the teenage girls who went to homecoming a couple of months ago would probably think is beyond modest. But... That's uh, so, but in that time she was, she was pretty hip, pretty happening. And then she was also wearing a white fur coat and browsing in different stores and visiting with people, including a classmate of hers. She eventually decided not to get the coat. I mean, yeah, she sounds like a celebrity. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. And according to witnesses, she was seen leaving the mall around 10 PM by 2 AM. Michelle was still not home and Albert and Jeanette rightfully worried about their daughter contacted the police department to report her missing. And knowing their daughter had gone to the Westdale Mall, police went there first. In the northeast section of the parking lot, a lone vehicle remained parked with a driver's side tire over the painted line of the parking space. It was tan in color, four-door Buick. And peering into the somewhat frosted window of the vehicle, matching the details the Martinko parents gave, the responding officer saw the small body of Michelle Martinko slumped on the passenger's side floor. Only the rear driver's side door was unlocked, 
the remaining three doors locked, the keys still in the ignition. The interior of the vehicle was covered in what was unmistakably, unmistakably blood. In some places, white fibers from Michelle's white fur coat could be seen sticking out. There were no fingerprints, but there were chevron pattern prints in the bloody interior and even in the dirt outside of the vehicle. So if you picture prints on the fingers of you know, the yellow dishwashing gloves, okay, right? The grippy part? Yep. They were an exact match and would later prove that the killer wore those exact gloves during the murder. So the chevron style imprint is a fingerprint from a particular Yeah, so it wasn't glove. actually a fingerprint, but it was the print right, of the glove. Right, an imprint of, yeah. a, of a glove. Yeah, so it was like the print of the grippy part on the, on the glove. And that was found throughout the interior? As well as the exterior, yeah. And what a chilling sight, the detail of her fur coat. Yeah. The feathers and the blood. It's like just sticking up out of little it's chilling. Of, the, of the droplets. Yeah. A crime scene processor, almost ahead of his time, used a razor blade to scrape blood from the gear shifter on the steering column. That sample was put on fingerprinting tape and sealed in an envelope. So what popped into my head was in 1979, there was absolutely no discussion I mean, certainly not in a, in a smaller town police department about DNA testing, right? So I, I'm just, I am beyond curious as to what actually made him scrape the gear shifter and the gear shifter of all places. So. Yeah, well, I, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a really smart insight and you got, you got to think blood still matters. Even if it's not DNA, you, you could, yeah. I guess I don't well, know what, blood, time, what was blood testing could. Well, could, at that time we were still talking in the, you know, the words of secretor and non-secretor, which creeps me out. I just can't even, I can I can hardly say the words. Yeah. Those are secreter, icky words. Ugh, gross. Um, but that is a genius move and an insight to check the gear shifter. Cause the old school cars, mm-hmm. you think yeah, it was on the steering again, column. it's on the yeah. steering column. Yeah. 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 This was, this was the day of, of, or the days of the, the bench seat in the front, you know, and, right. and like when you brought your baby home from the hospital, you just yeah. threw him on the seat next to you. And, and, you know, I mean, it was like, just, it was a wild time back then. I mean, you know, it was just carefree sitting next to your boyfriend and his pickup in the middle seat. That's still weird. Anyway, what a, so time, to, seals, what a time to be alive. He yeah. seals that sample in, in on, on fingerprinting tape and puts it in an envelope to, okay. uh, to be kept with the and the evidence. At the, at the scene, there was no weapon found. Motive would also cause some confusion because that $186 that Michelle went to the mall with to pay for her coat, it was still with her. Mm. So clearly robbery was out of the question. Michelle's black dress was pulled up, but there didn't appear to be a sexual assault because her pantyhose were still in place. So could that have been, you know, could sexual assault have been the original motive? I mean, who knows? Like they had absolutely nothing Nothing to go off of. Well, I'm still, uh, still kind of, yeah. I want to hear more. Good, I'll tell you more. Yeah, it's wild. That's what we're here. That's what we're here for. So the seemingly surprise attack on Michelle was undoubtedly angry and possibly even personal. She was stabbed eleven times with stab wounds to her chest, hitting her aorta and lungs. There mm. were also lacerations to her head and neck, with a total of twenty-nine wounds caused by a sharp edge. So not actual punctures, but you know, lacerations to a point. Most of which, most of those uh, would appear to be defensive wounds. Likely she used her hands to protect herself. So and that is a situation in which a, a knife attacker is flailing more with the knife than directly thrusting 
right? To, yep. to get that number trying of, to stab her, but right, not, but, but she's but, she's fighting like hell. Possibly panicking yeah. in, in the act as the killer mm-hmm. too. Sure. It, man, maybe not expecting as much of a fight from a, a young tiny. Right. Yeah, and and there is absolutely no denying that the sweet young girl put up a fight and died trying to save herself. The attack was so violent and so brutal. She lost two thirds of her blood volume. <sighs> two thirds. So that just paints the the picture of I mean what the interior all of the in car the car. Looked. Yeah. They believe this all happened in, in the, the car. car. In the car. Oh, yep. that is such a horrific and and claustrophobic murder. Right. right. Well, I mean, yeah, she's, you know, she was found slumped. I mean, again, you know, the, the, the front seat of that, that kind of vehicle was, I mean, you could fit up Honda Civic inside. I mean, so it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's big. Right. But like, you know, I mean, she's slumped down, yeah. you know, on the, on the, on the passenger side and yeah. So her family, friends and classmates were devastated and scared. So there was a killer out there and no one knew who it was and they had absolutely no clues whatsoever. Her family's dynamic was changed forever. Her dad was angry. And her mom was heartbroken. And the mall sucks now. Yeah. Yeah. The Cedar Rapids Police Department held a press conference to address the media and the public and even asked for a little bit of help. Assistant Police Chief James Barnes said, quote, we know that she was all right up to about 8 p.m., but we don't know what happened after that. So we are asking that if anyone saw her after that, if anyone saw someone with her, call us. If there is any information at all, call us. He said the investigation was starting at, quote, ground zero by interviewing family, friends, and classmates. Okay, and you need to interview every damn last person at that mall. Yeah. And with witnesses, this is a girl who was very noticeable. She wasn't blending in in her outfit that night. She was absolutely beautiful. Somebody had to have seen something. And it's a, you are wearing a freaking white fur coat and a black dress. I mean, you're 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 literally walking around like a Farrah Fawcett celebrity. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. Somebody damn well better have seen something. So when families should be carrying on their holiday traditions days before Christmas, Michelle's shattered family was planning a funeral, which was Saturday, December 22nd at St. Pius X Catholic church. Michelle's ex-boyfriend, Andy was immediately a suspect and his behavior didn't help him in any, any, in any way either. Absolutely distraught and nearly unconsolable at one point at the funeral, he was almost in her casket with her, with his arms wrapped around her body. He told a mutual friend of his and Michelle's that he needed to know who Michelle loved when she died. Did she love him or did she love her boyfriend, Mike? Many suspected that he was the murderer. Okay, that's giving me creepy bumps yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, ugh. Andy. Because that, that's her ex-boyfriend from a couple years back, right? Yeah, like, well, yeah. A little, it, yeah. a little while little, back. A little bit, yep. Yep, because she was 15, so about a year, within the year, probably. Yeah, but I mean, almost in her casket with her, like, hey, if you're yeah, home people, that was, like, please stop him. Just, that's a spine-tingling yeah, feeling and, for and sure, thought. For sure, And it was weird, right? I people mean, if were I'm just, the dad, I'd probably choke slam him for that right sure. there. Choke slam him, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just, like, visualized it, but yeah, I get it, yeah. Her, boy, her boyfriend, Mike, obviously, was also a suspect for a time, even though his alibi was solid, since, again, he was at college over 100 miles away. About two hours away, if you want to look at it that way. How dare you? I know. Back when the speed limit was 55 (laughs) MPH. Yeah, yeah, that was it. And just sailing down that highway. Investigators, including Detective Harvey Denlinger, had more than 80 potential suspects, and more than 60 of those would be eliminated. They were beginning to put together a picture, but after exactly six months from the murder, 
police released a composite sketch from two witnesses. It was a male in his late teens or early 20s, medium build at six feet tall and 165 to 175 pounds. Oh. Really narrows it down. <laughs> like Really I mean, getting, they got the broad strokes. Yeah, right, right. Just, so, I mean, it's, it's. Imagine the pressure on the something. composite sketch artists, though. That used to be such a primary function of an investigation through these eras. Mm-hmm. And, and so many investigations went off of witnesses and a composite sketch yeah, artist. Yep. And, and well, and, and, what, and what really it was like their interpretation. Right. right? I mean, and it, it's, it's no and secret. And it worked effectively, but. Sure. I mean, I. Most, for the most part. I, when I look at a composite sketch, I'm like, and then I look at like who, I was like, there's, who would recognize that person? So I'm, I'm absolutely awful at it, but it's, uh, it's an immense amount of pressure. And then it's no secret that, that witnesses are horrible at remembering details. Like eyewitnesses are, we don't do a good job of it, which I mean, everybody remembers it differently, you know? And by 1986, so we're a few years away, the case couldn't have gone more cold. Investigators still looked at it periodically, but nothing new. So this is 1979. So we're, to 1986 yeah, with nothing cool. new. And as an unsolved solved case typically goes on, suspects and witnesses die. And if any of them are carrying a secret, it gets buried with them. Oh, Michelle's parents firmly believed that my, Michelle's ex-boyfriend, Andy was the one who stole her life. They would feel that way to the day that, that, that they died. And Albert Martinko died in 1995. Jeanette Martinko died in 1998. Having never, never known, Found what, justice known, for their known daughter. what actually happened to their daughter. So fast forward to um, 2005 and DNA testing was sweeping the nation's law enforcement departments. And that was around the time that many decade old cases were kind of getting a new chance at being solved. Lead detectives assigned to this case, you know, I mean, and I think that's, that's about the time that we started hearing people, you know, being exonerated because of, you know, DNA testing and, and all of those things. So, I mean, it's, it's done a great job for us, even at the, the very basic Basic level. It has come such a long way and makes such a big difference in yeah. determining everything about an investigation. And- For sure. Yeah. So the lead detectives that were assigned to this case were Detective Doug Larison, who was a classmate of Michelle's, and Detective George Abo. Wow. Mm-hmm. All these years was. later. Yep. A classmate. <gasps> they weren't friends, but right, newer, but still, you know. So not knowing what they'd find, Detectives Larison and Abode submitted the blood sample taken from the gear shifter, as well as some additional evidence, including Michelle's dress. They sent it to the Iowa Department of Criminal Investigation, so the DCI. The DCI came back with results that would give this case the bump that they needed at the time. So, you know, almost... Promising, and props to to these guys. And I suppose once the DNA testing started becoming more prominent, that more and more departments from around the country were recycling some of this old evidence and saying, okay, what can we come up with? Well, in North Dakota, our crime lab was you know, barely a decade old, you know, right. so I mean, this is 2005. So, you know, all of these cases were, were being looked at and, you know, of course it was still, you know, who cares, who cares about science who, you know, and, and defenses, defense attorneys were still ripping it apart, but I digress. So they, when, when they submitted that stuff, the DCI did come back with the results and the blood that was found on the gear shifter found a partial male profile that was mixed with Michelle's blood as well. When the crime lab examined the dress that she was wearing that night, they found one single drop of blood, not mixed with anything, just one drop of blood. Wow. And it matched the same profile as the one that was mixed with Michelle's on the gear shifter. And to science this up further, there was a one in 100 billion chance of it being a different person. So it was the same blood droplet. So about the odds of like winning a lottery kind of. 
one in even 100 worse. billion. I mean, there's yeah, only can, 8 billion people yeah, on, no. you know, on earth. I mean, it's, my math is bad. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and I'm hardly one to ever um, point that out. So point out math, but yeah, that's, you're, you're off a couple zeros, but yeah. I mean, so the, the, the fact that they found a single drop of blood from this profile also shows that, I mean, I'm going to state the obvious here, but the, he was bleeding. So at some point during the struggle, he was injured. Yeah, we see that happen quite a bit with the knife attacks right. where, yep. the, of course, slippery Especially and if the, sweaty. Especially if the victim is fighting. And if the victim and, is yeah. fighting. Right, right. Self-inflicted wounds during a knife attack are very, very common. Right. And, and when you are, I mean, I, I, I hate to, to seem gruesome here, but in a, in a bloody attack like that, and I mean, if she lost two-thirds of her blood, there is blood everywhere. There's blood in his it's, hand. There's blood on the handle. Yeah. There's blood everywhere. So hoping to capitalize on the new technology and the DNA, detectives put the profile into CODIS, the, the CODIS system, but sadly, there were no matches. So whoever did this had never been caught for anything before. And hoping to get help from the public, they once again went to the media and press and announced that they'd found new evidence. Hoping someone would know something, even after all this time, they said the murderer was a male, which they could you know, undoubtedly say, and would have had a cut on his hand. And feeling confident, a $10,000 reward was offered to entice anybody that possibly had any information whatsoever. Somebody's got a scar. Someone's got a scar. And, and you know, it's, it's weird how, you know, after the decades or as the decades go on, you know, people are like, oh, maybe I should say something, you know, or, or I mean, you just never know what's going to happen, right? You never know what's going what's to come out of the woodwork. Well, it's why that, that phrase, if you see something, say something. Yeah, we can't, that, what, is, what, what, what government agency is that for? If you see something, say know. something. Is it Homeland well, it's Security? Well, Homeland Security, I think, I think yeah. in the yeah, airports. I think so. Yeah, but it applies everywhere. We just can't, you know, trademark it or anything. Um, so Michelle's fa- remaining family was incredibly hopeful at this point, and they ended up contributing half of the of the reward. So they were really, really hoping that someone would come forward with it. Nobody did. So investigators took over. You know, during that during that time, they took over 100 DNA samples. None were a match to the profile. But in the two years following that, that press release, they were able to eliminate even more suspects, including Mike Wyrick and the oddly behaving wow. boyfriend, Andy Seidel. Wow. Her what so, a, you know what? And what a relief for, I, I, I feel bad for those two guys to some degree because they probably spent a lifetime knowing that people felt like they were a killer and, and, yeah. and I don't know, so having much, that hang above you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and more so Andy Seidel. I mean, if he was Andy, for you know, sure. because, because people the parents were parents died thinking he was the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Parents took it to the deathbed thinking this man right. killed our daughter right. and yep. that's terrible. And, and once they were, once he was uh, excluded or eliminated, her sister was, I mean, said how terrible they felt, you know, they, they felt so terrible. It's hard until you're in that situation. You really don't know. I can't blame them. I mean, no. I don't blame them, no. but no, so after years of little progress, Detective Larison asked to be replaced as the lead detective, and that would open up an opportunity for a fresh set of eyes to look at the case, maybe come across something that they hadn't seen before. In 2015, Detective Matt Denlinger took over as lead investigator. His dad, Harvey Denlinger, was a veteran detective, retired at this point, but had a vested interest in this case. He had been one of the original investigators um, at the time of the murder. Wow. So now his son... This- it's taking over. The generational aspect of this is is really yeah. intense. And we're in to Cedar me. Rapids. I mean, it's right. a you know at this point it's you know at the time of the murder it was about a hundred thousand people. 
So, and obviously Detective Matt Dunlinger wanted to bring some sort of justice for Michelle's family, but he was also determined to put this, uh, put this case to rest for his dad. Of course, his dad, a portion of his life's work right. when it went yep. into this of trying to get justice for this family. And yep. this is a murder that has been likely hanging above that community for, this is what, 35 years, 36 years? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. After 10 years since detectives uh, Larison and, and Abode had, had taken over, there had been even more advances in DNA testing. So by the time that, you know, Detective Denlinger gets there, he's aware of those advances, of course, and he was convinced that they should be able to get more information from that DNA profile. So he reached out to a company called Parabon Nanolabs, and they told detectives that they could make a potential profile picture and build a profile of the, sus- of the suspect with technology called Snapshot DNA phenotyping. Holy shit. We're, we're in the future now. Now we're in the future. Now it feels totally sci-fi. It's the, like, what? Right. You just brought, it's total recall at this point. Right. Okay. Right. And do you suppose, do you suppose, you know, the, I often wonder, like, as we, as we move forward in the, in the technological advances in DNA, I often wonder, like, the, like the, the shithead killers that have gotten away with things, like, wow, I did not see that coming, right? Like, I did not see of that turn course, of events, right? Of you, course. They're likely shit and razor blades, and they should be. So, the, the re- <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. That's, I've said that two nights in a row. I need to, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly turning into my father. I really am. I really am. So the, according to the technology itself, so DNA phenotyping is the prediction of physical appearance from DNA. Simple as that. And it, you know, they use, I don't know, biometrics and markers and all that stuff. I love science, but that, that's above my pay grade. But it's, it's, it's super techie shit which they should add that to their, their tagline, super techie shit. And then it would go really well for them. You could have laughed harder at that, you guys. Come on. <laughs> Gosh. The, the report that, that came back ultimately sent detectives back to another press release and back to another press conference. The report confirmed that the suspect was male, but it also said he was of Northern and or Western European descent. This is where it was absolutely mind-blowing for me. There was a 74 per. Th- confidence that the suspect's skin tone was very fair to fair. Duh. I mean, he's Western European. I could have, I could have called that one, right? I could have, I could have called that one with like a hundred percent confidence, but I wasn't going to say it. I was like, okay, so he's pale. (laughs) Right. White dude. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 91.8% confidence that the eye color was blue green. 94% confidence. The hair color was blonde. Again, as I'm saying these out loud for probably the fourth time, I'm like, well, duh. I mean, but they have science to back it up, right? So it's it's at least like the DNA profile has has put all of this out there. So 94% confidence that the hair color was blonde and a 91.8% confidence that he had very few or zero freckles. Wow. Like all of that from science. That's incredible. Yeah. So they're getting, that's, you know, depending on your grading scale, 91.8%, that's an A. Right. I'm, okay. I'm, even, I'm even cool. This, with this, is, I'm, this is an A. Yeah. I'm, I'm even cool with the 74.3. Like, I think that's, you know, it, it tried its hardest and that's all that matters. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I mean, we're looking at a C according to, you know, my grading scale from my time. Yeah, but you composite these four numbers and they're right up there. It's a slam dunk. Yeah. Yeah. We're grading on a curve here. (laughs) Right. So the, the one thing about the technology that, that it it can't determine is age. Okay. Right. And so that, that actually makes sense because you're, and this is totally me not being sciencey. But I, you know, I, I imagine your DNA does not change, right? So if it's, I mean, your DNA is what it is, right? So it's, sure. you know, it, it can't determine age. I mean, I could tell it to be better, but that's okay. 
They'll figure it out in 10 years, I'm sure. Yeah, but of course, if, I guess if, if it can determine what you look like, then it should be able to determine what you look like at, at various ages. Well, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so okay. So just wait, actually. It's oh, interesting okay. you bring that up. <laughs> okay. It's interesting you bring that up because they, the, the company provided three different potential computer-generated sketches because, again, you know, they don't know how the individual were, his hair or how old he was. Right. So they they had one that was very young with very short hair. They had one that was kind of, you know, 20s ish with with kind of a shaggier haircut because it was the 70s. And then one that was a little bit older, too. So that would kind of mimic what uh, what he could potentially look like today. Yeah. So it was it was just it's mind blowing every time you look at it. And you can actually if you if you want they compare to the composite sketches. Do we know? Is this, not well. So not, not what well. you're telling me, no. composite sketch the, artist, 2015, out of jobs. I, I think he because yeah, of because shit. of this. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the composite sketch guy because I it was 1979. I'm sure it was a guy. I I'm, <laughs> I, I think he tried his hardest, right? You know, but maybe a little bit less than 74 percent. In oh. my in my opinion, in my opinion. <laughs> what do you get? In, Is he maybe a 54 percent? Maybe, maybe more him? on that D. Level? And, yeah, and to be know. fair, he's working with witnesses. Fair, witnesses right. are shitty. Yeah, exactly. No exactly. offense to witnesses who have helped solve crime. Right. But, but come on, it, witnesses it's, it's in pro- general. It's proven that witnesses are shitty. I mean, it's, it's unreliable. Yeah, Maybe yeah. shitty is a little harsh. I mean, it depends. That does depend because right. there's some witnesses that who were quote friends who literally got their innocent friend put in right. jail. So actually, I'm going. I'm taking it all back. Witnesses are shitty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that didn't help your circle. case. I mean, that was, yeah, yeah. But I, and what's, if I, I'll try to remember to actually post the pictures side by side so you can see them. I really and, do want to, that's yeah, really curious. Yeah. Thank you. So if you guys don't see that in like a month or two, just shoot me a message so I remember, okay? So. Yeah, because this, this, for those here live, this episode won't be out to the public for. for probably till January. Yeah, January. Early January. So. so if by like the middle of January you haven't seen it, like. Dude, Trust me, I won't forget. I got y'all's back. Send, send me a message. We're going to see this shit. <laughs> send me a message and tell me to be better, okay? Yeah. Don't so, be sorry, just be just better. Be better. Yeah. My, that's my favorite line. I love it. I love it. And it really gets the point across. It's, it's weird when you tell your children that. I feel like they don't, they don't really like it, but it's fine. It's fine. Just creating childhood trauma for them, it's great. Um, so the, uh, after the press conference, um, they, they received hundreds of tips and, and of course, yet again... None of them led detectives oh, anywhere. Jesus. So it, it's like, did, did nobody see this? Like, I mean, I mean, well, clearly two shitty witnesses that described him, but that, that has done nothing. But, you know, you, you, the, the guy that is, or the, the woman that he's probably married to, something. Well, you know? again, it's, it's, it's just really irritating to me because it's a shopping mall that is new during the busy holiday season. Right. And yeah. somebody who is- like It was hopping. So obviously dressed, standing right. out. Right. It, it, to have nothing. It, yeah, we're 35 years in. I'm pissed. Let's right. go figure this shit out. Yeah, exactly. So a couple of years pass again, but with the, 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 the rapid developing DNA advances, uh, there was still hope. How many more advances does DNA have left in this story? I, I really don't. I really don't know. But I mean, it's <laughs> like, gosh, in 10 years, I'm like, what? wow, this is crazy. But yeah. Um, anyway, so inspired by the technology that was used to capture the piece of shit Golden State Killer, the vile and disgusting Joseph D'Angelo, Detective Denlinger once again turned to Parabon Nanolabs to see if they'd be able to build on the profile using forensic genealogy. 
Wow. So it gets more sciencey. If you've heard of Ancestry DNA or 23andMe, or if you've used it, you've heard of people discovering long lost relatives in, in addition to knowing more about their genetic ancestry. You know, there's that one Netflix documentary right now about the, the, the doctor that, that has like fathered like 6 million kids, kids or something. Yeah, yeah gross. Yeah, which disgusting. What a sick but, asshole. But it's, it's, they're finding all of these things because of this uh, ancestry or this, this genetic testing database. So all of those samples that are submitted, whether you're a criminal or not, are turned into profiles and then entered into a national database. So that's how that comes out, right? So the male DNA profile from the murder scene was submitted into the same database. Into an online yes. 23andMe type a database. national database. Wow. Yep. Because yep. they all go into the same one, I think, from what I can see. It was starting to get really sciencey, and I was... If this gets any more sciencey, I'm going to need some protective goggles right <laughs> here for this. To, I know, To I get know. through this episode. Yeah, yeah. Stay away from the beaker. It, that's the only thing, that's the only science thing I could Did remember. Did you say stay away from the beaker? From the beaker. That was the only thing I could come up with. Yeah, I'm really reaching here. Anyway, it came back with a hit. Brandy Jennings, a woman from Iowa, was a distant relative of that male DNA profile. Holy shit. So okay. finally, it was a male, finally. It's a male DNA. It's a male, it's, we know but it's But they were male able DNA. to link it to a relative. Yep. So Brandy Jennings had done one of these DNA tests. Her information was submitted into that database. And when they submitted uh, Killer Guy's DNA or profile, it came back as a distant relative. Wow. Yeah. A cousin or something. Some, yeah, yeah, I want to say it was cousin or second cousin. I can't okay. remember. So investigators then contacted Brandy to see if she'd be willing to assist them in building her family tree. When she agreed, because she's like, what, what have I got to lose? I'm not a murderer. Let's do it. When she agreed, they worked together for months using birth records, genealogy records, marriage records, and pretty much any other record you could find at a county recorder's office, like everywhere. Holy shit. Public records. And then whatever she had, but they had to be, the interesting part is, you know, while they're building this profile, it has to be legit. It can't just be, you know, well, my grandma said this. It had to be like legit, legit proven stuff. Okay. For a rel- for being a relative. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yep. So once they built that, they then started knocking on doors to those relatives of Brandy's asking for DNA samples to continue to narrow down that puzzle. Once collected, they submitted them to Parabon and the profile was then recalculated. When the recalculated report came back, it was narrowed down to three brothers from Iowa because all three of them likely shared some type of DNA with the blood found in the vehicle. Okay. Yeah. It, it's, this is wild science. So the blood, so after every time that they would submit this DNA, right, the report would be recalculated and, you know, it's like, yep, go this way, go this way. I mean, you're, you're drawing one hell of a flow chart. So when, when Brandy started linking her family, they were able to get the DNA of that family. So like they got to the, 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 the hospital or wherever they could get. So it wasn't just like, oh, this was my grandma or this was the, here's no, a no, picture. Like de- detectives, were detectives were going and knocking on doors and getting saying, DNA of her cheek? family that yes. she linked them to. Yes. Wow. So, the, okay. So that is, that is a very complex process. And build, so yeah. when you're oh, building absolutely. that, you're, well, then, you're knocking backing, on doors and physically getting it from people. And not only that, but then backing it up with public records. Of course. You know, like yes. census records, all of those things. So, I mean, it, wow. it's, this is airtight, right? And, and even though I will say that you can't argue with science, people still do. But it's like... Every day. It's... Somebody on Facebook is arguing this shit out of science right yeah. now. And it's like, 
Absolutely. And and they did all their research on YouTube. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it's totally weird. And then you have the other people who are like panicking and sweating, like I'm not putting my DNA in that in that in that, that database. No way. So they found that then the three. They, so it linked it to three brothers, right? Because as brothers, you share you know, a genetic profile, very close link. Yeah. Very close imprint. And so it was in this report, all three of them shared some type of DNA with that blood that was found on the gear shifter or, and on the dress. Okay. So is that enough to, what does that get us? Well, I'll, I'll I'll keep talking. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All three brothers were still living. So there's one win. Those brothers were Donald Burns, Jerry Burns and Kenneth Burns. So detectives kept this new discovery whisper quiet because even a city of 130,000 can still be a small town and they needed to get their DNA in the quietest way possible, right? I mean, you're not going to alert people like, hey, got your DNA. It's not looking good, (laughs) right? Like, I mean, you know, they're now they're doing police work, like good old fashioned police work, right? So from one brother. Mind if I bum a cigarette (laughs) next to that? That's Sandy Ashtray. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. By two thousand, by two thousand sixteen, those were gone, or oh, eighteen, those were okay. gone. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, gosh, I just, I'm on memory lane here, uh, with that digging my hand into those disgusting things. Like I'm still kind of freaked out about it. Uh, disgusting. Anyway, so they're going ninja style so they, to get DNA are, from yes. these guys. And and when you when you said, "Can I bum a cigarette?" It was almost that way. So, <laughs> so from one brother, they collected the lunch remnants. From another brother, they collected a discarded toothbrush from his garbage. And from the remaining brother, they followed him to a pizza ranch and collected the straw from his cup. Right. So this this almost feels like, I don't know, the 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 like CSI shit where they're like, here, here's a cup of water. Right. And then well, and then it's like dun dun dun. You know, like it's 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 slightly weird that police are allowed to just sort of follow you around and pick your garbage up when you're done with it. But it, it it's totally legit. Yeah, it's totally legit. It's yeah. creepy. It's you know, if I did that to somebody. I'd be a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like hands but down, you cops would be a weirdo. doing it totally normal. It's Imagine totally normal. seeing the cop digging. The, you've seen the cop. Who's that weirdo digging in the garbage over there at Jerry's house? The thing house? is that you wouldn't see the cop do it because oh, okay. it's there's like a whole method to the madness. I feel oh. like I shouldn't say it in. in so public. they've got like a secret, okay? Yeah. Way of collecting garbage. Remind me at the remind. It's like the nin, the ninja police garbage collection. <laughs> that was good. So. Again, I mean, now they're, they're still keeping this super quiet. They submitted the, the samples and the, the DNA samples to Parabon. And when they came back, of the three brothers, because again, you cannot argue with science, two came back negative as a match. One of them came back as an exact match. Like you Ooh. can't get more matchy. Exact like match. Exact Not the match. one in, you know, maybe one in 800 no. billion people no, could share this. No, this match. is the one. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure they do have a, a statistic of like one in, you know, of course. 11 million billion, but I know that's not a number. <laughs> it just came out. Okay. I panicked. <laughs> I said a number. <laughs> oh, I really hope you, you, please, please Jonah these jokes out. Like it's, no, I'm, I'm 11 million today. billion. Yeah. It's, it's scientific. It's a, that's a it's scientific a number now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as for the sketch originally provided by Parabon, cause I know you're going to ask the youngest drawing with the shortest hair was nearly identical <sighs> to the yearbook photo of that brother. Now that's the sketch provided by Parabon, that's the, the company, the computer, not the sketch not the, artist. Okay. Not the sketch artist. He is, yeah. 
He's gone. I mean, yeah. I hope he was uh, Sesame Street stuff that yeah. he was doing. <laughs> it's actually a really good drawing. It just looks nothing like him. But uh, the brother was Jerry Burns. At the time of Michelle's murder, Jerry would have been 25. So after 39 years to the day of Michelle's murder, detectives interviewed Jerry Burns at his place of business that he owned. Wow. By the way. Business owner. Yep. It was not a coincidence that they picked that day to interview him because they wanted to shake him, even rattle him. Sure. Right? They're, they're walking in on the 39th anniversary of her, of her murder, of her death. And they were not fucking around. They Good. sat down in Jerry's office across from his desk with a hit camera hidden in a coffee mug. So looking at the footage, it's just, it's just eerie. Like, it's just super weird. These, guys, these investigators really had some pro moves here in the end, yeah. and I'm super yeah. impressed. Yeah. So Detective Denlinger came out swinging and he asked Burns directly, quote, the reality is we have your DNA at the crime scene. And so we know you were there the night that this happened. How would we get your DNA at the crime scene there, Jerry? And in the video, he's, he's wearing a brown Carhartt jacket, definitely aged, heavier than the blonde young man in his photo, his hair, you know, his blonde hair nearing gray. And while Denlinger, Denlinger was talking to him, what I noticed was Burns looked like directly at him like your eyes would hurt. <laughs> like it would be very, it would be, it would be very uncomfortable to be staring at somebody like that. And, but blinking often, right? So just his, his subconscious is just going a million miles an hour. Well, and, and when, well, I mean, it should be. Yeah. And when Denlinger said, so we know you were there the night this happened, you see Jerry nod his head. Yes. Which is a subconscious response, even though he's not talking. Right. So, you know, it's, it's just a very little movement, but you can see it and it's, it's, it's creepy. But his verbal response was simply, quote, I don't know. And that's all he said was, I don't know. I can't tell you how my science and one in 11 million billion got there, right? Like it's, it's, I do not know. So they continued to push and he maintained that he did not know. It's a good answer, I guess. But even though Jerry didn't offer any information, they arrested him at his office on that same day. So the, it's almost, you know, poetic at this point and uh, solely on the results of the DNA. So after being Mirandized and placed into the detective's vehicle, Detective Denlinger, and now it's also on video, he asked Jerry, quote, do you think it's possible this happened and you don't remember any of it? Jerry responded, quote, kind of stammered a little bit and said, I'm sure something like that would would be possible to block out. You block things out of your memories. Not once did Jerry deny it or try to explain the murder. So it didn't deny it one time. But didn't, didn't admit it. Didn't admit it, but did not deny it at Acting all. Acting a little stunned, a little weird. Yep. Really clearly 35 years later, you've moved on with your life. 39, you think you've yeah. gotten away. Yeah, 30, yeah. almost 40. Then but do you ever think you've gotten away with it? I, mean, I have no idea, but he's living like he did. He's right. living it that way. Right. You know, I'm sure that shit haunts him at night thinking at any day, somebody's going to come knocking on my door. Something's going to happen. Right. I got I to gotta imagine guys like this these guilty motherfuckers out there as DNA start getting, getting more prolifically used to convict people and find people. These guys are sweating. So yeah, yeah, he probably was sweating, waiting for this day. And I'm glad they found him. You, you put it as sweating and I said, shitting razor blades earlier. I kind of like the way you said sweating, (laughs) like that's better, maybe more, maybe a little more tactful. Yeah. So his Jerry's arrest or Burns arrest was beyond shocking to his community. Here he is a, a successful businessman. And his entire family couldn't believe that he would do or was even capable of such a thing. Wow. His brother was convinced. Here, here's where we you know, enter the, the science arguer. 
His brother was convinced the DNA got on the gear shifter because Jerry worked at a dealership that sold Buicks and there was a chance he may have touched the gear shifter. Oh boy. I mean, that's fair. That's a, that's, I know that's a lo- that's logical Occam's razor. Simple explanation. Right. What about the dress? What? That's what, okay. Right? So, so his blood was not just the gear shifter blood, right. but the it dress. It was also blood. on the dress. Okay. Yeah. But he specifically mentioned the gear shifter, right. but of course didn't mention the, 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 uh, the dress then. because he wants to be able to argue with the science. Yeah, so right. I get it. Investigators could not find any direct connection to Michelle or her family though, between Burns and, and that. So, but what they did find on his computer painted a very different picture of the married father of three and even offered insight into a possible motive. I'd also like to point out that Burns was married with children at the time of Michelle's murder. Getting the Jonah bumps here. This is going to get creepy and weird. I can tell. So according to his internet history, he was searching for porn several times a week. And before you start panicking and feeling you know, ashamed and all that stuff, it was, it was what they found was that was the alarming part. So it's okay. You don't have to feel bad if you're looking for, you know, porn a couple no, times porn's, a week. Porn's good and fine. It's- <laughs> but it was, and it was, and it was more than just your stepbrother, stepsister porn search. Like it was, it was more than, it was more than just that. Nearly every search started with blonde strangulation. Oh Jesus. That's a porn search. Now you're into some heavy shit, right? Okay. Like, and there were hundreds of quote, this is oh. what it was described as extremely violent videos. And so if that isn't enough for you, one video was named, quote, blonde molested after getting stabbed. And another was, quote, sex with freshly dead persons. Oh, oh, man. Oh, my. I can't even right now. Yeah. That. What the F? We promise never to kink shame, but I'm sorry. Right. That's this. This this is effed up. I will not kink shame you. But if you're if you are looking up you know, molestation and, you know, stabbing necrophilia. And, and necrophilia. I'm going to kink shame the fuck out of you then. Like you deserve that. That's you're, weird. No, you're and crossing seek a fucking line. You're seek crossing a line. Yeah. Yep. So the trial for Jerry Burns started in February, 2020 and the pressure for a conviction was, I mean, unmeasurable for sure. Even though they had the DNA evidence, which again, I'll say is science, which the judge did allow to be submitted. You sound like, like the judge was being nice for letting the DNA evidence in. Well, just wait. Oh man. It would not be a slam dunk because the evidence was 40 years old, right? And the judge did not allow the violent internet search. And because the reasoning, it's fair. Like I, you know, you can lawyer the shit out of it. I I, I can see it. She said that the jury would judge him based solely on his internet search and yeah. not on the actual facts of the case which is fair because I'm judging him so hard. Like even, I mean, if you took the DNA evidence out of it, he'd be guilty just by that. So it's, yeah, I can I mean, see he it. He searched sex yeah. with freshly dead persons. So it's yeah, weird. yeah, a jury is going to be like, dude, you're fucked. Right, right. So former boyfriends, I, I found this interesting, former boyfriends, Andy Seidel and Mike Weirich testified along with, um, you know, they were kind of like the lead people um, along with classmates, one of her best friends, witnesses, and- a jailhouse informant. Oh, which, the old jailhouse informant. Yeah. I mean, ta- can, you know, take him, trust him, take him how you want to. It's, yep. you know, um, you know, it's an interesting dynamic and probably could be its own podcast, but, uh, Burns supposedly told him that he would take him to the mall if he kept beating him at Pinochle. Oh. It's a weird choice of words. Yeah. So the, the prosecution was not, I mean, they weren't letting anything go. They were, they were going for it. 
when it became time for the defense to, to call their side, this makes me shake my head. They called one witness. A singular defense one. witness. O-1-E. O-N-E. O-N-E. <laughs> and that was the scientific spelling, yep. of course. I'm going to show myself out. Like, <laughs> you guys, I wish, I wish I were that clever. Like, I'm just, I, like, I say things it, just because I'm a dumb shit. Like, that's, that's, like I, I'm, not, I'm not clever enough to even try to make that up. Anyway, I'm not going to spell anything else. It was one witness. You got the point. Dr. Michael Spence. He was a molecular biologist. And the defense said that there was no denying the DNA was Burns. No denying it. Thank you. In 2020, we're not arguing with that. Great. However, the team doubled down that it was there because of DNA transfer. The expert witness said it was plausible that it was there because of outside contamination. All these expert witnesses all the time. And I get it. It's like, oh, it was plausible. I can't tell you it happened with certainty, but it might have. And it's scientifically possible. It's a very sciencey and, word. Yes. I mean, plausible. I hate molecular biologist. Badass title. Yeah. All right. For sure. And I, would, and I would go ahead and say he probably knows a thing or two about yes. DNA. I mean, I, I get it. But Not a it's, dunce. Right. He wasn't 74% in school, probably. <laughs> I mean, he may have been. He was probably he the 90th. You know? Maybe he was at the bottom of his class. Nobody knows because Nobody. There's, there's a top and a bottom. That's how it always goes. But. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's weird if there's a side. Every day, I wonder why I still have friends. Like, every day. <laughs> every day. Every single day. It's, all right. Please, dear God. No, you cannot don't put, say no, it. No, you have to Jonah that out. Don't you, you ask You cannot me make to. people believe that I am this stupid sometimes. No, like, you're seriously. not stupid. It's just anyway, a lot of unintentional anyway, back hilarity. To the world, back to the world here. On, mon- on Monday, February 24th, 2020, the jury went to deliberation. And after only three hours which tells you it doesn't look good for one side, they had reached a verdict. It's a quick turnaround. Jerry Burns, at 67 years old, was found guilty of third-degree murder for the murder of 18-year-old Michelle Martinko. Michelle's family finally felt like some sort of justice had been done. Burns' family disagreed. His brother felt the jury didn't look at the facts properly. That's the same brother that's saying it was transfer. I mean, nobody wants to b- believe their brother was a killer. I get it. Uh, yeah, I get yeah. it. I, I don't yep. fault the I don't fault a brother for feeling like that. Right. the The interesting part was the the interview that I saw this on was his brother and his daughter, and it was just, ugh, icky, right? Like it just it just felt icky. But, like f- icky because well, they just did not believe it whatsoever. There was no yeah, possible way, right? The, you know, the, and, the, the and, denial. Yeah. Well, yep. it's tragic. It is it's, for, it's for everybody. Tragic. It's tragic absolutely. for them and. Yep. There, there's that disbelief. There's, the, there's denial. It's, right. a, it's denial. Right. So the interesting part is during Jerry Burns' police interview, he mentioned Jody Hughes-Trute. Jody was an anchorwoman and journalist for the CBS affiliate in Mason City, Iowa. And she went missing on June 27th, 1995. And evidence in the area showed that she was abducted from a parking lot. Why the fuck is he mentioning her name? Just out of nowhere. So like, like with, with no connection, he yeah. just mentions yeah. this name yeah. of somebody else who was, who went missing. Yeah. And she it's was not a fucking coincidence. You bring that up. Well, and it's also not a coincidence that she was blonde, right? With his, I mean, it matched his internet search. Right. So 
whether that's, I'm not speculating one way or the other. It's just, it was it's an, worth it mentioning. Was, it was an interesting note in the, um, in the, uh, the police interview. So and that 2012, that was 2020. Was he's 2020. found guilty. Yeah. He's still, He's still there. He's still hasn't admitted to any other murders at this still, point. He's though. still very much incarcerated and wow. has because that's has not said one thing. He still he still maintains that he is innocent. as innocent as they come. <sighs> yeah. Why why mention that? Maybe he mentioned it in his mind because well, whoever whoever did this is the sure. maybe the person who did that, and it maybe. wasn't me. It's a weird thing. Whatever to mention, it, it is, a weird thing to mention. It's creepy to think yeah. at, at sixty seven years old, a small business owner. Yeah. That you get arrested and you've, you've lived an from entire a, from a case that's, life from a case that's 20 years old at this point, 30 years old, almost years 40, old. 30 almost years old. 40 years old. Well, no, not uh, by the time by they the, went. the, the, the journalist. Oh, the sure. Woman, sure. Right? I mean, it's, yeah. so it's, she went missing in 1995, carry the one that would be 30 years. Yeah. You know, if it was, if it was in 2018. So very, very weird wow. and sad, but wonderful for the wonderful for the family. Yeah. It, it, it just, I can't help but wonder, especially because he mentioned that, that first killing occurred when he was about 25, early to right. mid 20s. Yep. And I don't know, do people kill once and stop? You know what the evidence- I, th- I think lo- some do. I, I mean, I, don't, I mean, some do, some don't. It's, yeah. that's, the, that's the thing. Uh, the prosecutor said at, at, at the end, quote, this is, about her, it, this is not about her death, it's about her life. Pretty profound. Uh, resources for today's case, Des Moines Register, iowacoldcases.org. And 48 hours interview uh, on, from CBS, you know, it's 2020. It's hard to, hard to get that information at this point. So uh, be sure to subscribe, rate, review on whatever platform you find us on. And a big thanks to everyone who has already. Midwest Murder is hosted by Jonah Lanto and myself, Don Plumbo, and produced by the Good Talk Network. I wrote this episode and we appreciate you. And remember, sharing is caring. So wherever you are on social media, give us a share, tell a friend. Thank you so much, Grand Forks. Great time. 